Welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast, where we talk to C-level leaders from across the payments landscape. We'll be discussing the products and services that impact the payment space today, as well as trends and predictions for the future of payments. We will also hear stories from our guests about their journeys to the top. I think you're going to see more and more examples and use cases of embedded finance. There's been a number of white papers and discussions and studies around the fact that small businesses are going to continue to look to their software provider for value-added services, including banking. You know, and there's even some people that are out on maybe on the, the edge of this discussion, and they say that in the future, small businesses may not even know who their bank is, that they really are getting, they believe that their financial services are coming from the software provider that's helping them run their business. And the fact that there's a bank somewhere in the background, they're not even aware of that, or maybe they don't care. That was Tom Bell, the CEO of MAST, and he is our special guest on this week's episode, episode 205 of the Leaders in Payments podcast, and I'm your host, Greg Myers. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to make you aware of some opportunities we have here at the Leaders in Payments podcast. We have various sponsorship opportunities, including our upcoming Diversity and Inclusion Month in March. We're also launching a new series of podcasts called The Pulse of Payments where we will be focusing on specific topics for an entire month. For example, we'll cover embedded finance, open banking, cross-border payments, and more. Please contact me directly at greg at leadersandpayments.com for more information. Now, on to the show. What do ISVs have to do with banking in the future of fintech? According to MAST CEO Tom Bell, just about everything. For those of you who may not know, MAST, which actually stands for Money as a Service Plus, is a wholly owned subsidiary of Synovus Bank with a mission to create a true embedded financial platform for ISVs and SaaS providers. Not only do they take a lot of friction out of the embedded model by enabling Synovus to take their product and distribute it nationwide in a much more efficient manner, they also provide a tremendous benefit since they already have all of the regulatory risk and compliance mandates covered due to their relationship with the bank. Tune in to hear Tom talking about the true definition of embedded finance, where the industry is headed in the next two to three years, and more. We've got a great episode ahead, so let's get started. Hi, Tom. Thank you for being here, and welcome to the Leaders in Payments podcast. Morning. Pleasure to be here. So let's go ahead and dive right in, if you don't mind. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe where you grew up, where you went to school, where you currently live, a few things like that. Sure, absolutely. So I grew up in East Tennessee, Knoxville, Tennessee, went to college at Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama, and then started my career with what at the time was Arthur Anderson, Anderson Consulting in Atlanta, and was with them for uh, 25 years and then uh, kind of bounced around quite a few times, but Atlanta is home and uh, been here for this tour of duty in Atlanta, probably about 12 to 15 years. Okay. Well, first of all, I, I'll need to apologize because I didn't do enough research in advance, but I went to Auburn as well, so War Eagle. I knew that. I did my research. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very, very good. Well, great. Well, tell us about the company, MAST. I assume I'm pronouncing that correctly. You got it right. Correct. Yeah. Tell us what you do. So, MAST stands for Money as a Service Plus. And what we've done is created a wholly owned subsidiary of Synovus Bank with the mission and charter to create a true embedded finance platform. So what does that mean? Basically, we are enabling ISVs, software as a service providers, et cetera, 
to embed financial services into their platform. The best way I like to describe it is imagine everything you know about embedded payments and then just extend that into other banking products, whether it's a business checking account, a credit product, and other treasury products that will come in the future. So basically, we're taking the bank and embedding it into the software providers because that's where especially small business is more and more going to to look for value-added services, it's to their software provider, the provider that is providing the operating system, if you will, to help them run their business, whether they're a dry cleaner, a catering company, a music instructor, whatever it might be. We believe that that's the future of how many financial services are going to be provided to small businesses. Okay. Are there certain verticals that you focus on more than others? You know, we have started really very focused heavily in the services space, whether that's field services or professional services, because it fits well to, you know, our value proposition. But frankly, the way we look at it is any industry, any small business type that has relatively straightforward banking needs. Obviously, if it's a business that has heavy treasury service needs, heavily credit needs, other capital needs. And that's not really what this is oriented towards. This is oriented towards a small business that and ISVs that serve those small businesses that basically have fairly straightforward banking needs, payment collection, payroll, AP, you know, vendor payment, those types of things. Okay. And are you focused mainly on the US or globally or what's your kind of what countries or regions? Today, U.S. only. So it will only be the 50 states of the U.S. I mean, ultimately, we certainly will explore international, but that's, you know, on the far end of the product roadmap right now. Right. Okay. And then how do you go to market? Do you have a direct sales team? Do you go through partner channels or a little of both? A little of both. So first of all, our partners are the software providers, right? So we're enabling them to resell our product. So a ISV that, let's say, take one that supports the field services industry. So basically, we help them embed the product into their software platform, and then they can resell, remarket you know, the banking products to their end customers, the field service professionals. So clearly, they're our go-to-market strategic partner. And so our job is really to help, or our job is to find software providers, software platforms that you know, are a good fit for what we're talking about. So we have a business development team that is creating those relationships. And then once we've signed a partner, then we have a team that helps that partner market and sell the service, which will be called our performance marketing team. And then we also have a sales, an inside sales team that basically will take the leads and opportunities of that software partner and then help, help them convert them into businesses that are operating on the platform, taking advantage of the banking services. Okay. Maybe explain the relationship with Synovus so that, you know, it's kind of understood, like you're, are you selling just to their portfolio companies or like, what is the relationship with Synovus? Yeah, great question. Answer your last question first. No, we are not selling just to Synovus portfolio companies These are current Synovus customers. You know, Synovus is a $60 billion five-state regional bank. So we're in the Southeast United States and our distribution model for masks will be nationwide. So what we're enabling Synovus to do is take their product and distribute it nationwide in a very efficient manner versus traditionally, if you think about how banks grow, right? They grow organically, they move into new markets where they have to hire bankers and open facilities 
or they might even buy a bank, right? And what we're helping Synovus do is take their product and distribute it nationwide. Once our platform becomes generally available, you know, when it's really fully functional, it will be taking Synovus product nationwide overnight. So the relationship is that we are a wholly owned subsidiary of Synovus. We felt that, you know, Synovus could have played a lot of roles in the fintech space around embedded finance. There's a lot of banks that serve as the sponsor bank, if you will, the bank behind the scenes of many different fintechs that are bringing financial service solutions to market, whether it's in core banking or credit or whatever it might be. And we felt that it simplifies the model if a bank brings the product to market because, you know, Synovus has a 134 year history in banking. And so the regulatory, the compliance, the risk management pieces are second nature to a bank, to Synovus. So we feel that by then with our platform, taking that to market, we take a lot of the friction, if you will, out of the model so that a software provider doesn't really have to understand those components. We're not asking them to be a bank. We're asking them to be our distribution partner. Gotcha. Okay. And, you know, I'm a software company. I'm in field services. Is there a threshold where it starts to make sense? Like, do I need to be doing a certain amount of volume? Do I need to have a certain number of small business customers? Is there is there a sweet spot for that or does it really matter? Yeah, there is a sweet spot for that because it takes work and effort on both sides to bring a new partner online. And obviously, it's got to be worth their effort and it's got to be worth our effort. The target we kind of say is, is that a software provider that has a thousand or more customers on their platform, we feel that is kind of the average that would be the sweet spot that we would focus on. Obviously, there are you know, some higher, some lower. But if you think about the thousands and thousands of software platforms that are out there in the United States today, targeting that kind of thousand, average of a thousand is really what we see as a sweet spot. Okay. So less about maybe volume from a payments perspective and more about number of of clients or customers. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, obviously, once again, the volume has to be there, but, you know, the kind of that first criteria is going to be just the number of businesses on the platform that we can target. Okay. Okay. So Tom, one of the challenges I think people have had in this business model is getting the customers of the software company to actually start using the product. But it sounds like you're, you have a solution for that with your performance marketing and your inside sales team that helps to handle that. Yeah, very much so. And it is a challenge. I think there's been many examples of partnerships, especially in the payment space, where providers have signed up software partners, software channels to distribute the product, and then maybe been disappointed in the actual performance of that channel. So our experience has shown us that if we take a proactive role, and that's why we created the performance marketing team, that will work with a software partner to help them position the product within their value proposition and help them go through the demand generation process and the actual booking of those businesses on the new value-added services. So we've structured that in kind of a menu type of choice where basically they can choose on one end of the spectrum, just basic support, marketing collateral, some how-tos, if you will. And then on the other end of the spectrum where they would engage us to actually execute the campaigns and go through that entire process on their behalf. And we're happy to play whatever role makes sense for the ISV 
so that their program's successful. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, as you know, you have some competitors out there. So what would you say differentiates your company from your competitors? I think there's a few things that are very important. One of which is we are a bank bringing the product to market. And therefore, the regulatory compliance risk management requirements are really on our plate and not on the plate of the our, one of our competitors or even the ISV. So many fintechs that are bringing similar pieces of solutions to market, they have to find a bank partner to be their sponsor, if you will, to allow them to use their bank charter, their balance sheet potentially. And what we're doing is we're kind of taking that entire friction out of the equation so that the ISV can be comfortable that what is being offered is 100% in line with the requirements from a regulatory and compliance standpoint, but also 100% in alignment with the goals and strategies of the bank so that they're very closely aligned goals with the ISV as opposed to potentially conflicting goals. I think the second piece is, is that there's many solutions out there that have a very rich set of APIs and SDKs and other things that allow a fintech to build a solution or an ISV to build a solution. What we've said is we're bringing the whole product. You know, it's a literally a working payments product. It's a working banking product. It's a working credit product. And the focus is really on the ISV embedding it in their platform, but they don't really have to do any more than just coding to our API set. And then we kind of take the rest from there. Okay. So those are your top two differentiators, you'd say? I think so. I think so. And I think that we're bringing what we believe is the true definition of embedded finance because there's a lot of people out there talking about embedded finance, but what they really mean is embedded payments just with a new tag on it. And we believe that we're actually bringing those products. And as we've gone to market, as we've spent a lot of time talking to people such as yourself, private equity firms, potential software partners, we're hearing that our offering is unique. It's different than what they're hearing from others. So we're pretty comfortable that we've got first mover advantage and we're doing everything we can do to take advantage of that first mover advantage. Okay. Where do you see, the general question is, where do you see payments headed? But I'd really like for you to answer, where do you see embedded finance headed, say in the next two to three years? I think you're going to see more and more examples and use cases of embedded finance. There's been a number of white papers and discussions and studies around the fact that small businesses are going to continue to look to their software provider for value-added services, including banking. You know, and there's even some people that are out on maybe on the, the edge of this discussion, and they say that in the future, small businesses may not even know who their bank is, that they really are getting, they believe that their financial services are coming from the software provider that's helping them run their business. And the fact that there's a bank somewhere in the background, they're not even aware of that, or maybe they don't care. So I think you're going to continue to see those lines getting blurred. And the good news is, is that for Synovus, we believe that we're in a unique position because we're not in the 50 states. We're only in five. So to us, it all just looks like upside. It doesn't look like cannibalization to us because we're going to be acquiring customers in Oregon and Maine and places that we don't acquire customers today. Yeah, that whole aspect of how a small business sees their financial relationship has changed. I mean, I, I, as most people know, worked at Chase Payment Tech many years ago. And a lot of when we integrated with the bigger Chase, overall JP Morgan Chase, it was, hey, small business goes and opens a checking account. Oh, that's the first thing they do. And then they find a payments company 
I think the days of that are are dwindling, if not disappearing completely to where the checking account isn't the first thing a small business does, right? They look for an operating system, a software company that's going to help them run their business, which leads exactly you know, to your point of that becomes their financial relationship is with their software company as opposed to with their bank. That is 100% aligned the way we view it. And that's why our underwriting process is, we think, somewhat unique. So basically, in support of what you just said, business decides they're going to use this software platform to help them run their business. They then go into the process of applying for financial services, if you will, which will be payments and checking. And we underwrite those together. So it is a kind of a one-step process. So once you know they're approved for the payments account, and for the checking account at the same time. So once you have a live payments account, you got a live business checking account. And by the way, it's a free business checking account. And then they're off to the races. What other products? I mean, we hear lending, we hear potentially insurance. I mean, payroll's pretty much already there in some places. Are there other products beyond, say, maybe a core four or five that you guys are thinking of long-term? Well, I think those are definitely on the roadmap. So payroll is on our roadmap, a more robust AP payout solution is on our roadmap for certain businesses that require that insurance for sure, as well as we're going to actually embed accounting functionality into the, into the platform. So back to you know this concept of this platform, this ecosystem is what I used to run my entire business. So now they'll not only be able to collect payments at a working or operating checking account, but then we'll wrap it with accounting solutions that allow them to track the finances of their business and add further value, if you will, beyond just the core checking or the core financial products. And then them have to go up somewhere else like a QuickBooks or a NetSuite or somewhere else for the accounting functionality. Interesting. Okay. Well, let's switch gears for a minute and talk about you. So give us a little bit of your background, your professional journey. How did you get to your role there as the CEO? You know, I started in consulting. I was with Arthur Anderson, Anderson Consulting, Accenture for many years. Sometimes when you're at Accenture, when you leave, you say you're now going to go get a real job. I left Accenture and joined actually First Data. First Data at the time that they were being taken private by KKR. So I was there for five years and as part of that process, actually helped build the new Bank of America Merchant Services and then was the CEO of that for uh, a number of years, then left them to become the CEO of another smaller platform processor, uh, Merchant E-Solutions, and then you know continued to work in some other software payments related spaces, but then ultimately ended up at Synovus because I felt the culture of Synovus was compatible with what I wanted to do in terms of starting more innovative financial services businesses and solutions to be provided. And so I ultimately joined, it'll be almost two years now, Synovus working very closely with the executive team there to start furthering their payments vision, which started with bringing Merchant back in-house and then ultimately resulted in us creating this new this new venture called MAST. Okay. And when did MAST launch? We started working on it about two years ago. We formally, if you will, made public that we were working on this and the brand and everything in February of last year. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, what are some things you're passionate about? So maybe one personal passion and one business-related passion. On the personal side, you know, I like everything outdoors, especially on the water. I'm, I love boats, always love boats, always been on boats my whole life. Not big boats, you know, ski boats, fishing boats, things like that. So I like being on the water, I like doing anything outdoors. And from the business side, 
you know, if you look at my career, I like building things, whether that's taking an existing company and transforming it into what it's going to be for the next 10 years or what we're doing here at Mass, which is a true ground up build. And that's where I get passion. You know, I'm, I, I certainly believe I'm skilled as an operator, but what really gets me out of bed at three in the morning is being able to build things. Okay. And we've seen, obviously, the payments and fintech space grow over, you know, the last 10, 15 years and so much investment being put into it. And a lot of people coming out of college, they look at this space now and say, hey, I want to build a career in payments or fintech. As someone who's been in the industry and certainly at a senior level, what advice would you give someone coming out of college? They're looking at payments or fintech and they say, hey, I want to... I want to build a successful career in this space. What would you tell them they need to do to, to have that successful career? What are the core things someone should be looking to do? What would your advice there be? You know, I think the first thing is, is to recognize that payments is technology and technology is payments. I think sometimes people look at payments and they think kind of core banking and they kind of think maybe more traditionally about what it is. And it's actually a very complicated, sophisticated, technical solution. Because if you think about the volume of payments, both in terms of dollars and number of transactions that occur every minute across the world, I mean, it's kind of an eye-watering story when you really think about it. So I think you got to have your technical chops to be able to really be successful in payments. I think that's number one. I think number two is looking for opportunities to create new use cases. Because if you think about payments, and how it's evolved from the knuckle buster, you know, the, the machine and the carbon and all that fun stuff up to where we are now, where payments are embedded in everything. And then eventually financial services, as we believe, are going to be embedded in everything. And so I think being willing to continue to challenge, you know, the status quo, if you will, is important because there's always going to be a new use case. There's always going to be a better way to create financial value in a transaction. And now with you know real-time payments and some of the other things that are coming down the pike, I think that we're just on the cusp of a new era, if you will, of innovation in payments because many of the things that we take for granted or we take as a given, if you will, in payments in terms of settlement timeline and other things, I think we're going to start to see some of those things go away to where payments are going to be truly real-time you know, with the appropriate controls and uh, risk management things wrapped around it. But I think it's inevitable that payments and settlements are going to become more real time. And I think that's a fascinating technical challenge and a fascinating business challenge over the next 10 years. Yeah. And I think there's also, I mean, there's still friction in the payments ecosystem that I feel like, right. I mean, Uber has done a great job. That's always the use case that everyone brings up. But just think about some of the challenges of payments that are still there. And I think where we've seen 10 years ago Square and what they brought to the market and then what Uber has done. And I mean, there's a lot of examples, but I just feel like there's that still that whole friction of just paying is going to be something that changes a lot in the next 10 years. Yeah, I think the innovation is going to be on the what used to be the boring settlement side. Because I think there's been, as you said, there's been plenty of good use cases and, and innovation and, and progress made in terms of making payments on the acquisition side, the authorization side, real-time, embedded, transparent. You know, it's just part of the flow, right? Then you look on the back end, you know, there's still a lot of friction as money moves from 
the acquiring bank, through the card association rails, through the Fed, to the issuing bank and back, right? And I think that's where you're going to see people really trying to find ways to compress those timelines and minimize, if not eliminate that friction. Yeah, completely agree. Well, we've covered a lot of ground about the company, what you do, what makes you different, you and your kind of your professional journey. Is there anything else about Mass that you want to talk about before we wrap up? I would say we're super excited about what we're doing. We do believe that we're tapped into a space that is got a lot of uh, greenfield ahead of us. We believe we've got some first mover advantage. And, you know, I would encourage anybody to reach out to us who has an interest in learning about what we're doing, or certainly if you're a a software provider and you're looking for an opportunity to grow revenue two to five times per customer, we're the ones you should be talking to. Okay. Well, Tom, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know your time is very valuable, so I really appreciate you being here. Greg, it's been my pleasure. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well. And until the next story. Thank you for joining us this week on the Leaders in Payments podcast. Make sure you visit our website at leadersinpayments.com, where you can subscribe to the show and where you'll find our show notes. If you enjoyed listening, please share on your social channels as well. 